like uh, just several kind of random things as you as you continue with offering. The first thing is this: uh, we haven't broadcast this, but Amy had the opportunity this past Friday and Saturday to uh, speak at Democrats for Life um, in Lansing uh, about uh, about issues of the importance of life, and um, she knocked it out of the park, and that's really really cool. So go, Amy. Woo! Second thing is this. Uh, today we finish our series on deserts. I'll talk more about that in just a second. We start a new series next week called My Fit. Um, and it's all about how you fit in the kingdom, about your giftedness, how God designed you and wired you. And our desire is that through that series that you can find a place, not just where you can do a task, but where you can really do what God designed you to do in the kingdom. So uh, we're jazzed about that. That starts next week. Third thing is this. Yes, it's really the sermon time. And um, no, we didn't forget the other songs. Um, I want you to do me a favor. If somebody comes in late and looks like, what's Rick doing talking already? Say, it's okay. You're not late. Or maybe you could say, yes, you are late or some, I don't you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but here, here's the deal. In the message, we're going to have an opportunity to, to uh, have an extended time of worship. And I, I just, on the front end, want to encourage you to, um, to mentally be prepared to respond to the message with, with your worship, to, um, to let God speak to you through that time and for you to worship him as well. Um, in 1994, uh, a 39-year-old policeman from Sicily was one of about 130 athletes who entered the Marathon de Saab. Marathon de Saab, a 156-mile race across the Sahara Desert. The Marathon de Saab is regarded as uh, the most difficult endurance race on earth because it is 156 miles. It's the equivalent of running a marathon six consecutive days through the desert. Um, that policeman's name that entered that race was Mauro Prosperi. He was a former Olympic athlete. He knew something about competition. The race takes place in Morocco and goes through the Sahara and covers desert terrain the entire race. It goes through, t- through places of wilderness. I looked at the pictures. It goes through place, places that are literally mountains of sands mountains of sand, and then it has areas that are just these kind of rolling dunes that are there as well. On the fourth day of the race in 1994, the 134 runners had kind of spread out, and so everybody was kind of on their own pace. Prosperi was in seventh place um, when he found himself in the middle of a sandstorm that ultimately shut down the race for, for a day. He was in the middle of small kind of rolling dunes, and Prosperi knew that he couldn't just stay there, that if he stayed, he would be buried alive by the sandstorm. So he continued to move, continued to, to keep pressing on towards the, the, uh, towards the finish line. He, um, he was in seventh place and had a, this tremendous desire to win. He didn't want to lose his place. When the storm, the sandstorm lasted six hours, and when it finished, he couldn't really kind of see much of anything. He, he uh, pitched his, his uh, sleeping bag, he set up his, his uh, camp, and went to sleep for the night. He figured that in the morning that he'd be able to wake up and see the... the he, he figured the race was lost at that point in time, but, uh, but that he would be able to find the, the walkers, the people who were the slower ones in the race... He'd be able to see the trail the next morning and that he'd just join him at that point in time. Well, he got up the next morning and couldn't see anything that looked familiar. There were no trail markers, no racers, nothing. 
By the end of the day, his water supply had run out. And he thought, you know what, if, if I'm going to survive, I've got to do something. So he began to urinate in his uh, water bottle, thinking that if dehydration set in, he, he would have some fluid of some kind to get him through. Three days passed as he continued to trudge on towards the finish line. Nearing the end of his strength, he discovered a collection of three buildings out in the desert. It was a Muslim shrine of sorts. He entered only to find an empty building that, was, that really just held a sarcophagus of a dead holy man. It was the only thing there besides bats in this building. At this point, Prosperi is, is in weakened condition. He hasn't had much of anything for four days at this point. He was able to capture two of the bats, tear off their heads, suck out their entrails and their blood, and it got him through. He spent the night... The next day, he heard a helicopter, and he thought, I'm saved, this is great. So he immediately uh, dug a hole, he put all of his belongings, his sleeping bag, all of his uh, nylon acrylic stuff there, lit a match to, to set up a smoke signal so that the helicopter would find him. No, no sooner did the fire start than a second sandstorm came in that lasted 12 hours, dissipated all the smoke, and, uh, and the, he never saw the helicopter again. In despair and more afraid of suffering than dying, Prosperi decided to take his life. He took out his penknife and sliced his wrist and went to sleep. He woke up hours later to realize that he was still awake. He was so... He, he woke up to find out he was still, he was still alive, okay? Um, he woke up to discover that he was so dehydrated that his blood had coagulated almost as soon as it left his wrist. And he took it as a sign that, uh, that there was something still for him and he needed to keep going. He continued to walk through the desert, stumbling as he went, until finally he found a, 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 just a small sort of oasis that had a human footprint beside it. He ate reptiles and, and uh, a little bit of water in the, in the uh, desert, that he, a little bit of wadi, uh, roots and stuff that he could find, to last through that time. Ultimately, he was found, uh, he, he saw a small eight-year-old shepherd girl who went and found a woman. They found him. Uh, they served him some, some goat, goat's milk that he was able to just sip for a little bit um, and ultimately took him. Uh, military men came and took him away. They blindfolded him because they thought he was a spy, even though he'd been lost for nine days. And he was actually in Algeria, no longer in Morocco. Um, he was taken to the hospital. He was treated for his injuries. Over the nine days that Prosperi was lost, he lost nearly 35 pounds when he was rescued, he was 186 miles off course, away from the finish line of the race. How do you deal with defeat in your life? What do you do when, when you encounter deep, devastating defeat that just kind of wrecks your plans? You know, de defeat, as Jamie mentioned, it, it, can, it can be overwhelming. It can cripple you. It can, it can take you a, to a place that, that you didn't know existed. You can wallow in defeat, sometimes for the rest of your life. In the midst of defeat, oftentimes you can blame others. Oh, if they would have done this, if they would have done that. Rather than facing that defeat, you can try and learn. But sometimes defeat just overwhelms. We all experience defeat. 
You may be right in the midst of it right now. If not, I'm guessing that you can probably look back at some point in time in your life or multiple times where defeat, that, that sickening sense of, uh, of loss has overwhelmed you. I want, us, uh, I want us to look this morning at two people who are part of the story of Jesus that both experienced life in the desert of defeat. I, w- I want us to take a look at how they responded And I want us to see what God has for us today as a result of that scripture that we have. The first person is uh, is the the apostle Simon Peter. Simon uh, Peter was called by Jesus. He was a fisherman on the shore of the sea. Jesus came up and said, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And for the next three, three and a half years, Peter was alongside Jesus at every turn. He saw Jesus do miracles. He saw Jesus heal people. He heard Jesus teaching. He saw Jesus feed 5,000 people at one point in time. He saw Jesus miraculously feed 4,000 people at another time. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He saw Jesus cast out demons. And he saw Jesus wash his own feet. Peter was adamant about his decision, his desire to follow Jesus, and said to Jesus, you know what, I'm with you no matter what. Luke 22 describes a conversation that happens during the Passover between Jesus and and Peter. Luke 22, verse 31 starts, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Simon Peter, Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison, and I'm ready to die for you to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. You you may know this story really well, but I want you to kind of climb inside what happens during these few days Um, That happened on Thursday night, that conversation. Uh, Later that night, after the Passover, Jesus is with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, The crowd comes in to arrest Jesus. And Luke 22, verse 54 says this. Seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter, the one who had promised that he would never leave Jesus, that he would die with him, followed at a distance. And when they're... And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're, you, you too, you're, you're one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. An hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him. He's Galilean. One of the other uh, uh, narratives say that his speech gave him away. Verse 60, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him just hours before. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. When the game was on the line, Peter fell apart. 
Peter threw a pick six. He fumbled the ball. He threw a hanging curve with the bases loaded that was hit for a grand slam. Peter lost big. Peter was the guy who had walked on water. Peter was the guy who, when Jesus said, who do men say I am? Peter was the one who said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Peter was the guy that we talked about just a few weeks ago that was with Jesus when he was transfigured and was there with Elijah and Moses on the mountains. And three times he denied he even knew Jesus. When he realized what he had done, he wept bitterly, defeated at every turn. Second person I want to look, uh, I want to look at this morning is Judas, another of the disciples. Like Like Peter, he left everything to follow Jesus. He was an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. He saw the miracles. He saw the teaching. He saw Jesus feed the 5,000 and the 4,000. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He saw Jesus cast out demons. He had Jesus wash his feet. But just a little bit before that, Matthew 26 says this. One of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. The time comes, Judas goes to the priests, says, the guy that I'm going to kiss, he's the guy. And the crowd comes. The soldiers come into the garden. Matthew 27, verse 1 says this, Early in the morning that night, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. When Judas realized that he had blown it, that he had betrayed Jesus, he was so defeated, so filled with despair, that he went out and hung himself. Two men, two disciples of Jesus, Both fall in defeat in the same night in huge ways. Both come face to face with their failures. Understand this. The desert of defeat has the power to destroy. Defeat has the ability to come in and consume us completely and wreck our lives to leave us hopeless in the sand. Some of us live in a world of defeat, and some of us carry defeat from the past. What kind of defeat have you experienced? Maybe maybe it's a lost marriage in the past. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe it's a broken relationship with your parents or with your kids. Maybe you experienced financial defeat. You made the decision that just blew up, and you lost everything. You're struggling to survive. Maybe your defeat was the, was the loss of your dreams. You had this dream of what life was going to be, look like, and it blew up. It didn't happen. 
Maybe your defeat has come spiritually over and over and over again. You've heard the voice of Jesus. You've heard the nudge of the Holy Spirit. And you've, done not, you've not responded positively that. You've denied Jesus, like Peter, like Judas. Why is the memory of defeat so painful for us? I think it's this. I think it's because the more intense the dream that we have, the more devastating the defeat. I understand when you look at the life of Peter, Peter was this guy who was, who was all about action, and he was adamant that he was willing to die for Jesus. He, he, Peter wasn't just there on the sidelines. Peter was at the front of the line saying, Jesus, I don't care what everybody else says. Everybody else may walk away, not me. I am with you. I will go to prison with you. I will die with you. And so when Peter denied Jesus, the devastation that it wrecked in his life was immense. Peter was the guy that, that when Jesus had said earlier in his ministry, as, the disciple, as, as people who were following him uh, began to walk away, when Jesus talked about the cost of being a disciple, that, that Jesus said, um, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter was the one who said, where would we go? Where would we go except to you? You have the words of life. What about Judas? Why was his devastation so incredible? I think that he had this dream. He understood that Jesus was the Messiah. But he was carrying this hurt because uh, probably five days earlier, the disciples had, had been in a place enjoying a meal and a woman had come in. Uh, she had poured out perfume, incredibly expensive perfume, on Jesus' feet. She had washed Jesus' feet with her hair and this perfume. She had cried in the midst of that. And Judas was the one who said, she shouldn't be doing this. She's wasting all this money. And Jesus put him in his place and said, you know what? This woman's story is going to be told um, into eternity. She's doing the right thing. Judas, Judas got reprimanded by Jesus. And I don't know five days later if he was still carrying hurt from that or what. If he was feeling put out, if he, if he was feeling on the outside, but something made him say, you know what, I can get rich. I can put some more money in my pocket if I turn Jesus in. His commitment, his dream that he had about what life would be like with Jesus wasn't happening. And so when that blew up, the devastation was immense. Understand this, in, in, the, in, in looking at the lives of Peter and Judas, in order for our failure to not be fatal, it has to be dealt with. Judas determined that, that his failure was fatal. You know what, that there was, no, there was no way he could come back from what he'd done to Jesus. He was crushed and he took his life. I think when you, when you parallel those two accounts, the thing that's crazy to me is that Peter's action and Judas' action are not that much different. Both betrayed Jesus. Both knew the truth. Um, both willingly chose their agenda, their profit, their comfort, their benefit, their safety over what they knew to be true about Jesus. And both were filled with regret. Only one of the two experienced the grace of Jesus in the aftermath. 
If you've failed in your walk with Jesus, you've got to come to grips with that failure that exists in your past. You can't hide it under a rug. You can't pretend like it never happened. You can't pretend like it doesn't affect you even now. You have to acknowledge that you're lost in the desert. You can't keep walking blindly, off course, unsure of where to go. The defeat, that break in your relationship with Jesus, will destroy you if you don't deal with it. There's the thing, though. When we, when we own our faults, our failures, our defeats, when we come clean and say, I am lost in the desert, Jesus is there. He shows up. If we move forward just a few days in history, Jesus is crucified and he's buried in this stone tomb. Mary, Mary Magdalene, some of the other women go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with perfumes. And they discover from angels that Jesus is alive. They tell the disciples and Peter and John run to the grave to find out the truth for themselves. I, working on this message, I... I I climbed inside Peter's head in a way that I don't, I don't think I, I, I ever have before. I've always thought, oh, Peter and John run, and they're ecstatic. They're unsure, but they're ecstatic. I think this is what actually happened in Peter's mind. Um, as he's running to, to the tomb, he's thinking, it's impossible that Jesus is alive. I saw him die. It's impossible. We saw him arrested. And as he went in and saw the empty tomb, the grave clothes, I think Peter thought, if he's alive... What's that mean for me? What's that mean for my relationship with him? Will he want anything to do with me? When you study the Gospels, uh, something very interesting shows up. In all, of the, in all of the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion, Peter is never mentioned once. It may be that Peter wasn't there when Jesus was on the cross. Or if he was there, he was very much in the background, completely broken by his betrayal. I think, I think Peter asked, if Jesus is alive, will he even be able to see me? Will I be able to have any kind of relationship with him? That night, the night of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus does appear to 10 of the disciples. Peter's there. He uh, comes in and meets with them in the upper room. And it's interesting to, the, to me that when you read that, no mention is made of Peter in that account. Peter, this guy who was so bold, so, uh, he proclaimed his love for Jesus so much. When it describes Jesus' interaction with the 10, Peter is not mentioned at all. A week later, Jesus appears to all 11 disciples. Judas has killed himself. Uh, he appears again, and, and the interaction that's recorded there is with Thomas. It's not with Peter. Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, put your hand in my side. Touch my wounds. Know that it's me. I am alive. No mention of Peter. But incredibly, something happens in the midst of Peter's defeat. Jesus pursues him. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John 21 and look at this because this is just so good. I'm going to start reading in verse 2 of, of John 21. It'll be on screen as well. Simon Peter, Thomas, who is also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together there at the Sea of Galilee. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in a boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Hey, friends, do you have any fish? No, they answered. He said, Why don't you throw your net on the right side of the boat? I think you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off while he was fishing, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast with me. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Do you see what happened? Peter knows it's Jesus. He's drawn to Jesus. He loves Jesus. He jumps into the water to go swim to Jesus. But there's still this strained relationship with Jesus because of Peter's failure, his defeat. So what happens? Jesus initiates contact with Peter. He starts this conversation. Jesus is the one who goes to the seashore. Jesus is the one who calls out to the men fishing in the the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is the one who fixes breakfast. Jesus is the one who starts the conversation with Peter. When we're overwhelmed by our defeat, when we feel that chasm, that break with Jesus, he is the one who pursues us. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Here's what I want you to see from that passage of scripture. Our failure doesn't have to be final. Defeat does not have to determine and define your destiny. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I still, I still want to use you. I still have things for you to do. But it's all dependent on one thing. Do you love me? Some com- commentators, when, when Jesus asked the first time, do you love me more than these? Some commentators believe that Jesus was asking Peter if he loved Jesus more than fishing, more than his livelihood, more than his occupation, his, his, uh, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his hobby, the thing that he loved, more than his security. I, I think that there's a pretty good case that can be made for that. 
that Jesus was saying to Peter, do you love me more than all of this stuff? Other commentators believe that Jesus was asking Peter if he loved Jesus more than the other disciples that were with him. After all, Peter was the guy who had said, even if everybody else denies you, I'm going to stick with you. I'll die first. I won't do that. If that's what Jesus was asking, it was because he was given Peter a special responsibility to care for those disciples and for the other disciples as well. I, I think that there's a strong case for that. Either way, Jesus asking the question three times had to reopen the wounds of Peter's three denials and that campfire at Caiaphas' house. Again, they're around a campfire. Jesus was doing the necessary surgery to restore their relationship and to make things right with Peter. And it was painful to Peter. Luke says that the third time that Jesus denied, that Peter denied, that Jesus looked directly at him as the rooster crowed. I wonder if the third time that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He looked at him with the exact same look, maybe the same mannerism, maybe the same tilt of his head, maybe the same connection in his eyes that he had had at Caiaphas' house that night. Make no mistake about it, Jesus was pursuing Peter so that Peter could experience the glorious freedom of a relationship with the memory of a defeat, but not the burden of a defeat. He was making things right so that he could experience the right relationship with the memory of the defeat, but not the burden of the defeat. If you're carrying the burden of defeat from your past, today's message, in today's message, Jesus is saying to you, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? I have a purpose for you in my kingdom. Do you love me? I've got that defeat from your past. Let go of it. Let go of that burden that you've been carrying for so long. Your failure in the past is real, but your failure is not final. Defeat does not have to be your destiny. Jesus was saying to Peter, I'm not done with you yet. God wants to use weak, broken, failed people. That's all he has. Just people who are broken and forgiven. Can I tell you a secret about North Point? Everyone on staff at North Point is broken. All of our life group leaders here at North Point are broken. Everyone who leads uh, any kind of ministry, who leads Celebrate Recovery or Awaken or uh, Grief Share, they're, they're all broken. Everyone who serves in any capacity here, anybody who's a part of the body of Christ here is broken. Pastor David Rosales said, there are areas of your life that are going to be wounds that you received in life that ultimately deepen your faith and increase your ability to have compassion for the weak and humility that is necessary to minister effectively the love, grace, and compassion of God. We minister most effectively in our brokenness 
not when we try and hide our brokenness. We are all hot messes without Jesus, but we're all people who he can use to further his kingdom because of that brokenness. We have each wandered in the desert of defeat, but Paul's words to the church in Corinth hold true. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. You know, when you're broken and you're looking for help and you begin to talk to someone and they give advice, good advice, bad advice, if they give advice, they probably have not been broken in the same way. If they've experienced that same kind of defeat, you know what they'll give? They won't give device, advice. They'll give good news instead. They'll be able to say, you know what? I've been there. I've been there. And there is hope beyond what you've experienced. If you've failed in the past, let me give you one last bit of good news. Peter's denial of Jesus wasn't the last time that Peter failed. In Acts 9, Peter has to hear from God three times consecutively to understand that God is telling him that the gospel, that the good news of Jesus wasn't just for the Jews, it was for the Gentiles too. And then again in Acts 15, even though God had used Peter to bring the good news to the Gentiles, in Acts 15, there's this... There's this uh, disagreement that occurs in the church and Peter has turned around and said no you've got to be a Jew in order to be a a follower of Jesus and Paul says to him that's not the way it is Peter continued to mess up even after his interaction with Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee I find great comfort in that but when you read the two letters of Peter can you hear the change in his heart This guy who was the brash follower of Jesus who said, you know what, everybody else will forsake you, I will die first. When you read the the two letters of Peter at the back of the New Testament, you can hear a tenderness, a love for the disciples that is so deep that when Jesus said, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep, that Peter got it, that it transformed him, that it took that past failure, that past defeat and used it as a tool that allowed him to minister to the body of Christ in a greater way. Uh, in 1994, Mauro Prosperi wandered the desert of defeat for nine days, 186 miles off course. Four years later, Prosperi entered the Marathon de Sav a second time, and I wish the end of the story was that I could tell you that he won the race. He didn't. In 1998, he entered the race and quit halfway through because of a stubbed toe. This guy who had wandered in the desert for 14 days, 
who had persevered, stopped the race because of a stubbed toe. In the following years, he did end up continuing to run the race and finished it. Once fin- uh, uh, he ran it five more times, finishing once as high as 12th place. He didn't let his defeat destroy him. Here's the challenge today. Don't let anything, any defeat that's in your past, any struggle, any hurt, any disappointment cause you to drop out of the race, cause you to walk away from Jesus. He asks us today, do you love me? Do you, do you love me? Do you love me? So that we can ultimately hear him say, you know what, feed my sheep. Minister to the body. I've got purpose for you that goes far beyond the defeat that you've experienced. Ultimately, that we can say, I've run the race, I've finished the course. Well done. We can hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. We're going to spend the next, uh, the next 15 minutes or so in worship. I want, to, I want to just invite you to use this time to sing directly to God, to hear from him. You know what? If you, if you want to come down front, feel free to do that. That's always an option. If you want to stand, stand. If you want to sit, if, sit. If you want to kneel. But let this be a time of worship as you deal with the defeat in your past and hear Jesus say, do you love me? We don't have to be defined by our defeat. And we don't have to live in the desert of defeat any longer. Let's stand together. Let's sing.